Good morning, church. Let's worship. Come on.
morning, God, we open up our hearts to you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just rest in this place, that your presence would be felt, and God, that our lives would be changed, Lord, that you would sharpen us. Lord, we give you all the glory this morning. Would you do an amazing work in all of us? And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Well, turn to someone on your right and say hello. <laughs> and you may have a seat. Fix your eyes to the screens. We're going to watch a video. I really did not set out to be a missionary. I really did not set out to be a missionary. When Mark and I were married, we had offers to pastor local churches. That would have been very, very nice. Then they asked us to go to Calcutta for one year. I thought with that we have a one-year-old baby and this is crazy, but it's only one year. I can do one year. Everything changed when a man walked into our service. He shouted at Mark, Preacher, feed our stomachs. Then tell us that there is a God in heaven that loves us. He was right. Words are easy. Doing is much harder. We discovered that there was more than a lifetime's worth of need. people would not have come up to what they are today. We don't know where some of us would have been. You know, people would come to Calcutta and say, wow, you know, and you've done this and you've done that. They say, what is your greatest accomplishment? And I always say, investment in lives. Buildings crumble, buildings get old. Buildings have to be replaced. But investment in lives lives for eternity. Welcome to Life Church. How are you? It's beautiful outside, isn't it? Well, I just want to welcome our first time guests this morning. And if it's your first time here, we are so glad that you have joined us this morning just to worship our King. And we're just so excited, as you saw in the video, this is a church that believes in reaching the lost. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, hold tight because we're going to share him with you this morning. All right. So, and if it is your first time, go ahead and grab this lovely card in the seat back in front of you. Fill that out. We have an information table in the lobby. We would love to get to know you, share with you more about Life Church, and share with you more about who Jesus is. And to top it off, we have a lovely gift for you as well. All right. Speaking of missions this week, I want to just say our church 
family is amazing in reaching our local community. This last week with Food Share, we fed 200 families. 200 families, y'all. That is amazing what God is doing. He's grown this ministry from two years ago. We fed 30 families a week to now we're feeding 200 families a week. That is just amazing to see what God can do. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been a part of that ministry yet and you've been holding back, today's your day get involved, jump in. I'm going to be in the lobby after service. I'd love to talk with you, share with you about how you can get involved in that ministry. We do it every single week, every single Thursday. It's just an incredible ministry to be a part of. Also, speaking of missions, we have our 6K for water with World Vision that we are participating in. You've probably seen the table in the lobby. It's a bright orange one. You can't miss it. If you want to be a part of providing clean water for children and their communities all over the world, I want to encourage you, sign up today. Don't wait till the last minute. Sign up today. Get involved. I'll be there. We've got two locations that we're walking through our community. And again, this is just a church that we're a people who want to see God move in the lives of people, not only here in our neighborhoods, but all around the world last thing is if you are new to Life Church or you have just been thinking about getting involved in ministry here, we have growth track class this morning. And so we want to invite you at the 60 second countdown here in a second, go ahead and go out these doors to our conference room and we'll have um, Karen Heckethorn there waiting for you, ready to share with you about who we are, what we believe and how to get involved here at Life Church. All right. Speaking of missions, it's Mission Sunday. I want to thank you. It's because of your giving. It's because of your generosity. It's because of your faithfulness that ministries like Calcutta Mercy Ministries can happen. It's because of you that ministries like Food Share can continue and 6K. God has so much more to do in our world, doesn't he? Right? We live in a broken world, and I want to encourage you, be a part of that. Be a part of what God can do, not only in our neighborhoods, but in all around the world. So I want to invite you, go ahead and stand this morning and invite our ushers up. And let's just ask God to take our finances, to take our resources, and to multiply them in ways that we can't even imagine. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the opportunity to partner with you and to minister to the lost. Lord, and to feed the hungry and to meet practical needs. Lord, I pray that you would take not only our time and our talents, but Lord, that you would take our finances, our resources, God, and that you would multiply them. God, that hearts would be lost, or would be saved, Lord, that hearts would be mended, Lord God, and that bellies would be fed, and Lord, that clean water, Lord, would just be made abundant. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to give us that passion, give us that desire for the lost, Lord, because that's what it's about, Lord. It's about you mending broken lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can take the next 60 seconds to come forward and give in person. You can um, give online. You can give out in the hallway in a kiosk. But also take the next 60 seconds to say hello to someone. And if you're here, if you're wanting to go to Growth Track, now is your time to go.
Life Church. That's uh, that was okay. That was okay. We'll uh, we'll accept that right now. Uh, really great to uh, to have you. It is a beautiful day out there. And uh, um, I know many of you who are uh, part of our newsletter, which, by the way, you can sign up at uh, LifeChurchUtah.com. I think at the very bottom you can sign up uh, for our newsletter. Uh, but uh, sent out an email on uh, Friday and then followed that up on uh, last night with, uh, during a devotion time uh, for, the, uh, for the, these five days we spent in uh, prayer and fasting. Um, talking about the masks. And so I just want to uh, kind of jump back into that really quickly before we get to the message. And there's other things we got to take care of uh, this morning. Um, so we have lifted the requirement here in person uh, to wear a mask. And for those of you who are online, uh, you should know that as well if you didn't get the word about that. But let me say something about masks, uh, right? Because they can be terribly divisive, as we have found out in our culture. And uh, some some folks have spiritualized the wearing or not wearing of masks. And let me say, if you choose to wear a mask, uh, that is not a sign of lack of faith or, or, or some sort of fear or something like that, right? It's not, that's not what it is. Some of you are choosing to wear a mask because of a situation at home, uh, because of edu- you know, our educators I know are wearing their masks, things like that. So they're choosing to wear a mask. It is not a sign of a lack of faith. Likewise, not wearing a mask is not a sign of extra faith, you know, or something like that and, and over-spiritualize this thing. It really has nothing to do with that, okay? And so I really want to remove that from uh, this whole equation. It's not like all of a sudden Life Church has more faith, so we removed uh, the mask, you know, mandate for here. Uh, no, we're following uh, kind of the protocols that are changing in the world around us, and we feel comfortable at this time to lift that mandate here uh, at Life Church. However, we do know uh, that there could be a rise in cases. There could be something that would uh, put it into a position where wisdom would say that it would be smart for us to begin to wear masks again for a short period of time. Whatever that is, we're going to follow the recommendations of Salt Lake County or the state of Utah. So I just wanted to be clear about that. This is not a spiritual thing, and sometimes we can make it a spiritual thing, and that is not the case at all, all right? So if you see somebody wearing a mask, uh, if you happen to have a mask in your pocket, throw it on real quick. you know, whatever, welcome them, things like that. And then when you find somebody not wearing a mask, you can take whatever, all right? Just use wisdom. Uh, We love uh, love everyone. And uh, man, we just want to see God do great things here at Life Church Utah. So, all right. Um, At this time, I'm going to invite Pastor Francisco and uh, his wife, Leticia, sorry, um, to come on up here really quickly. Come on up here. And uh, many of you have no idea, I just said, I'm going to invite Pastor Francisco up here, and you have no idea who I'm talking about. Um, but this is uh, Francisco and Leticia, and they are our new, new pastors for Life Church Espanol. And uh, I'm going to have, have you hold on to that real quick. Um, for a number of months, we've been, uh, been searching and trying to uh, figure out where we needed to go with Life Church Espanol. And uh, our connection with you two happened very unexpectedly with another church, uh, another Assembly of God church, uh, North Salt Lake, and it just kind of worked out. And so they're actually helping us out as well as Abundant Life up in North Salt Lake with Pastor Alex Lucero, and uh, who, by the way, is, uh, is still recovering from uh, some things. So if you remember Alex Lucero, if you know him, please pray for him. Uh, but uh, we are super excited to have you guys. I didn't ask you ahead of time, but can you say hello uh, and introduce yourself to a congregation? Um, Dios les bendiga. Mi nombre es Francisco Teodoro, mi esposa Leticia. 
y somos de El Salvador, estamos muy felices de ser parte de la familia de Life Church. Así es que eh, sentimos un honor y lo único que pedimos es que oren por nosotros para mm. que la poderosa mano de Dios se siga manifestando en señales, milagros, salvación. Amen. Amen. You want to say anything? Hello. <laughs> Mi nombre es Leticia Teodoro. Realmente estamos muy agradecidos con Dios. Agradecidos por habernos traído porque sabemos que Dios tiene planes, planes de bendición, planes de, de, de bienestar para su pueblo. Y Dios va a hacer grandes cosas. Amén. Amén, amén. So here's, here's the thing. So as a church family, um, we have a community all around us that needs, uh, needs the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed. And at times there is that language barrier and that can make us uncomfortable, right? When somebody doesn't speak the same language we do, and sometimes that could be your teenager doesn't speak the same language that you do parents, right? How many of you parents know that, right? Okay, a whole other language that, uh, that we have to deal with and learn. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of phrases right now, but I'm gonna get myself in trouble if I say any of them. Um, and so looking at what God has in store for Life Church Utah, I'm so excited to have both of, both of these, uh, um, uh, and, and as I mean, pastors, be able to come alongside of Life Church Utah with Life Church Español to do an incredible work because we believe God opened up the door supernaturally to bring them here. Uh, there is just an openness to see what God wants to do. And so I'm going to invite you. I know you were standing a little bit ago. Can you stand to your feet? We're going to pray God's blessing on these two as we uh, take a look at what God wants to do. So God, we are so, so grateful uh, for Francisco and Leticia. We pray, Lord, for your blessing and anointing upon them. God, we are believing for incredible fruit for Life Church Espanol and then Life Church Utah, uh, God, in the broader, uh, broader content. That, God, you have called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And so, Jesus, I thank you for shining your light through uh, Francisco and Leticia. God, I pray a blessing upon Life Church Espanol, God, that you would continue to bring increase. You would continue, God, uh, to work supernaturally in West Valley City, uh, through Kearns, through Magna, God, through, throughout the re remainder of the Salt Lake Valley, God. Let this be a place of light and hope and new life, God. We give you all the glory and all the praise. Lord, I thank you for Francisco and Leticia and pray a great anointing upon them. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. One more time, let's welcome Leticia and Francisco. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can be seated. Um, and I uh, just wanted to say another word real quickly here, and sorry, we don't normally have this many like little components going on on a Sunday morning, but with Palm Sunday and Easter and kind of all those things, thought we would take care of a few of these things uh, on a morning like this. Uh, we are also still in the process of praying for and seeking uh, children, full-time children's pastor and uh, full-time youth pastor. And uh, in this whole process, it seems like it's taking forever, right? There's that, that sense of like, okay, God, how do we process? How do we work through this? And uh, we certainly have had a number of, uh, number of interviews that just haven't kind of worked out in the, in the end of it. But what I know, and here's my confidence, that just like the Lord has brought to us uh, Francisco and Leticia, in the right time, in the right place, with the right people, God's going to bring to us the right children's pastor and right youth pastor, right? And uh, we know it's an incredibly important decision. 
especially, be, uh, especially with our children and youth, to find the right people to be able to be part of what God is doing here, to have the same heart that we do here at Life Church Utah, because these are your children, your teenagers. And uh, so I want to invite you, when you think about Life Church, which I know is probably all of the time, right? That's all you do, sit around thinking about Life Church all day long. Uh, but when you think about Life Church, especially those parents and, and you know, parents with uh, young children and teens, please pray that God will lead us to the right people, right? We want to be able to provide the, the, the right ministry here at Life Church Utah for our city and community and for the Salt Lake Valley and beyond. And uh, so I just want to say I appreciate your prayers for us as a staff as we uh, really seek the, uh, the Lord's direction and guidance uh, for finding the right people. So thank you uh, so much uh, for that. All right, so we are wrapping up our series on Mark, on your Mark, uh, uh, today. And so I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles, please, to uh, Mark chapter 16. So if you've got your physical Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 9. If you have your uh, smart device, and uh, please go ahead and go there, because we're actually going to, I'm going to give you some insight today on something that you might not know about the book of Mark. And uh, so I'm excited to be able to do that. So today we're going to be talking a bit about mission, not necessarily missions. We've, you know, today has definitely been focused a lot on missions. And by the way, uh, the Mercy Ministries uh, is just a fantastic ministry. I've uh, spent time over there actually in Calcutta a number of years ago and uh, met the Buntains. And uh, actually Mark had already passed away by the time I was there in 07, I think. Um, but Holda is a fantastic, fantastic woman of God. And the ministry that's going on there, which we've supported for many years here at Life Church, is uh, really, really beautiful to behold. But we're talking about mission, and I've got a, a couple of stories I want to tell you about people who have given their lives to mission. They've given their lives to say, okay, God, what do you have for me? And remember, one of the important things about all these people that I'm going to tell you about is every one of them had a decision to make at some point in their life as to what they're going to do with their life. Some of them were already involved in a, in a job before they uh, decided to, um, to answer a call for them uh, to go on mission somewhere in the world. So uh, this first guy is uh, John Keith Falconer. I've got a picture, I believe. Yep, there he is. Uh, John Keith Falconer. I love that mustache. I mean, that is fantastic. Um, he was a college athlete in the mid-1800s when he answered a call to mission in Yemen. I didn't even know Yemen was around in 1885, right? 1885, he answered this call to mission. And uh, this is a quote that he had, and I just love this. He says, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in, the land, in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. He was looking around at his reality and at that point in Great Britain and uh, realizing there's a ton of light here. Let me go to a place where there is not a ton of light. What is it that compels somebody to do that? What is it that, that reaches into the heart of someone in spirit? I mean, he was a college athlete. Everything was looking, you know, like a particular direction. It's kind of like um, if, uh, if you've ever... Well, for me, you know, uh, going to my family one day, say, you know what, I feel like I'm called into ministry. And, and they, they kind of look at you just for a moment and go, really? You? <laughs> You're the guy that sets things on fire, you know? <laughs> you don't obey all the rules, right? Okay, that, that's kind of that moment. And yet something within him responded to this call of God. Another person, uh, some of you might know the name Jim Elliott. 
and uh, he was a missionary uh, actually out of uh, Chicago Wheaton, uh, Wheaton College, attended there. Uh, God really got a hold of his life through his years there um, at, that, uh, at that college. And uh, he ended up being a missionary to the Alca Indians in Ecuador, was killed, establishing kind of first contact uh, with, this, uh, with this tribe. They were known to be a violent tribe, and yet here he was saying, hey, there is darkness here. We need to tell this group of people about Jesus, and they established contact. And then I think it was the second or third time that they had, uh, had reached this group of people. They were attacked and killed. I think five missionaries lost their lives on that day in the 1960s, if I remember correctly. And this is his quote, one of these things. He said, missionaries are very human folks. How many of you are humans uh, here today? All right. I don't see your hand up. That concerns me. <laughs> right. um, missionaries are very, human, are very human folks, just doing what they are asked. Simply a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody with a capital S. <laughs> right? That's what missionaries are. That sounds like us. A bunch of nobodies <laughs> trying to exalt somebody with a capital S. Um, Richard Wormbrand, he was a, uh, he was a pastor and uh, um, kind of late, later, a little bit later in his life became a pastor. And uh, this is him. This is a, a picture of, of him kind of uh, in this imprisonment time in Romania when communism was taking over in the 19, uh, 1960s, 1940s to the 1960s. Um, because of his witness for Christ, he was uh, uh, arrested and tortured. There's a book and a movie out there called Tortured for Christ. And if you are interested in uh, watching his life and seeing uh, what his life was, I encourage you. Fantastic uh, insight. But this is what he said about uh, preaching the gospel. This is what he said. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted there the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Think about that just for a moment. They were willing to receive incredible harsh punishment for the privilege of preaching the gospel of Christ. That to me is fantastic and at the same time completely horrifying. Lady by the name of Lillian Trasher uh, also in the 1800s, at the age of 23 in 1910, uh, she and her sister left with $100 in their pocket to make their way to Egypt and to go way down, um, I can't remember exactly the town that they uh, ended up in, but way down uh, south in, um, in Egypt um, and establish an orphanage at that point in the uh, eight, uh, 19, early 1920s uh, that is still to this day uh, still is at work today because two young women decided to break all the rules. How many uh, rule breakers do we have uh, here in Life Church Utah, right? Yeah, break the rules outside the church. That's great. No. Um, right? And, 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 they, and even the church was trying to stop them from going. You're a woman. You can't go. You're too young. You can't go. And they said, no, 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 no. There's something within us compelling us to do what God has called us to do. 
And so they went and radically transformed that part of Egypt. And this last one is a guy by the name of Lot Carey. And as I was studying, I um, found out something super interesting. This is Lot Carey, born in 1784. 1784, uh, born into slavery and uh, lived in that slavery uh, until he was about the age of 29. He had proved himself prior to this to be a, a fantastic worker and his owner uh, had allowed him to go up to some part of Virginia and begin working for his owner. And uh, Lot Carey realized very, very quickly um, that uh, he needed to win his own freedom. And so worked hard for a number of years to eventually buy his freedom, buy freedom for his wife, buy freedom for his children. And then in the process of all of this, because of what his grandmother had told him when he was just a little boy, the grandmother said, uh, said, Lot Carey, God has not called you to be a slave. God has called you to go back home, meaning uh, back in uh, Liberia at the time, uh, to go back home and to tell our brothers and sisters about the secret, and the secret was about Jesus. And Lot Carey, that, that was in his heart from a young age. Finally won his freedom, and at the age of 37, made his way uh, to Africa to become the first freed slave from America to become a missionary. Love that, right? And, and while none of us here have experienced that kind of oppression and that kind of slavery, I love it that somebody for whom the world would look at at that point in 1784 and say, your life is nothing, but Jesus has an entirely different plan. Because there's a mission, right, that God has called us to. There's something beyond what we are living right now, and hopefully at the end of uh, today's uh, message, and I am uh, talking very slowly, we got a lot to get through here in the next few minutes. So, uh, so this common thread is, that, um, is the story of Jesus that transformed these folks to be able to then go out and tell the story of Jesus for themselves. And so we need to do one last thing here as we wrap up the series on Mark, is we need to take a look at the last words of Jesus in the book of Mark. And so um, as we go here to Mark chapter 16, let me just say something really briefly. If you've got your physical Bibles especially, it's very easy to see this. Uh, those of you who are on the digital platforms, a little bit harder, but there's always a footnote when you get to Mark chapter 16, verse 9. And there's a little footnote there, and it says, uh, if you look at the footnotes, and I always encourage you, look at the footnotes, uh, and it says in there that, that a lot of early manuscripts, or a lot of manuscripts don't have Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Um, it says that a lot of those manuscripts don't have it, that this was an ending that was potentially added to uh, the end of Mark as a summary of the book of Mark. And the reason why we have it in our Bibles, and I, and I love the footnote, because there is nothing to hide about the Word of God. There's not, it's not like they're trying to uh, create some sort of other narrative because everything that we see in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, uh, lines up with who Jesus is and what he proclaimed and preached and taught. And so uh, what we have there is a, um, is a great representation at the end of Mark uh, for an ending to the book of Mark. And so don't be surprised by that. Don't be confused 
by that. Uh, when you see those footnotes, uh, man, make it a point of rejoicing and just say, hey, nobody's trying to hide anything. Here is what we understand uh, from the scholarship of what the New Testament is. And so I just wanted to bring attention to that because as a kid, I remember reading that footnote in my good 1984 New International Version and wondering what it meant <laughs> and uh, very concerned as, a, uh, as like a 16-year-old, what does this mean? Is it some sort of conspiracy? And that's not it at all, just bringing it out in the open uh, for us. So um, here is what we need to know about Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 15. I'm going to go ahead and read this. Um, and it says this, uh, and we're going to start at the resurrection. Early on the first day of the week after he arose, so this would have been last Sunday, uh, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had driven out seven demons. She went out and told those who were with, uh, with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive, when they heard that Jesus was alive, she had gone to the disciples and had seen by her, they, meaning the disciples, did not believe. You realize that? The disciples did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then after this, it says that he appeared in a different form to two of them while they're on their way to the country. They went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. You ever thought about that? That the disciples did not believe. Is that scary? The disciples that had been with Jesus for three and a half years, and Jesus had told them at least three times in the book of Mark that he must suffer, that he would die, and that he would rise again, and yet they still did not believe. Then it says, then he appeared to the eleven themselves while they were eating. And he rebuked them, Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of hearts because they did not believe those who had seen him resurrected. It's such an interesting passage of scripture. Why, why, right? I mean, because when we start reading the Bible and we ask this question, why? Why is this here? What are we supposed to learn from this? The disciples didn't believe. And remember, even if you tie this into some of the other gospel accounts, John and, uh, and Luke and Matthew, uh, some of them even went to where the tomb was and walked in, and yet we hear that they struggled to believe the testimony of their friends and loved ones. So why is the story in there? Um, how hard is it to be a witness for Jesus. How hard is it? Um, have, real quick, show of hands. How many of you have ever had to testify in a court of law to be a witness? Or to be a witness in a court of law? All right, a handful of you have. Um, I've never had the joy, the privilege, or the heartache, or whatever it is, to walk through that experience. Um, but in that, like we have, uh, we have accidents. I don't know if you know this or not, but accidents from time to time happen on Bangor. <laughs> Shocking. And, um, and so there were, you know, accidents out there and we've got videos that sometimes catches them, sometimes doesn't. And uh, if you've ever been a witness to an accident or witness to an infraction or whatever it is, a police officer walk up to you and say, and have their notepad out, what did you see? What did you see happen? What were they wearing? How did it all go down and all that stuff? And they'll go to other witnesses and say, how did, you, how did it transpire for you? What did you see? How did it work? And all of that. And then if you go to a court of law, the judge will be, you know, I solemnly swear, you know, and all that stuff. And then you say, this is what I saw. 
this is how I felt in the middle of this. This is uh, the color of the car. This, you know, and so you begin to testify and to witness. Um, Jewish law, especially in the first century and, and on all the way through, actually through like the book of Deuteronomy, way back, uh, way, way, way back in, uh, in uh, Jewish history, there's a standard. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking in the middle of uh, talking with his disciples, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter two, um, chapter 19, and uh, basically he says that truth is established by the witness of two or three, right? By the testimony of two or three witnesses, that the truth is established. Mary Magdalene, rushing up to them, saying, "Jesus has risen from the dead." I don't believe. Then it says two disciples who were on their way. We, we believe that this story is the Luke, Luke chapter uh, 24 story when the disciples, two disciples are on their way to Emmaus. And these two come rushing back to talk to the disciples. Hey, guess what we saw? We saw Jesus. We don't believe you. The truth is established with two or three witnesses. So these disciples are in the process of having to come to grips with what somebody is telling them that they themselves have not seen. When we are telling people about Jesus, we're in the same boat, folks. We are telling people a story that at times they find very hard to believe. And this is honestly one of the greatest joys that we have is being able to say, no, 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 no. Jesus has changed my life, right? Jesus has come in and radically transformed this, this inner brokenness in my life. And all I can do is tell you what Jesus has done. Mary Magdalene, all I can do is tell you, I saw Jesus. I don't care if you don't believe me, disciples. <laughs> I saw Jesus, and these two on the road to Emmaus come back. We saw Jesus. I think God was showing the disciples when they kind of looked in hindsight at just how hard it is at times to tell people a story that they don't believe. Just giving them a moment to kind of take this in in their own life going, oh yeah, this is actually hard for us to tell the story and have people believe us. Um, real quick show of hands, there might be a handful of you that this has happened to. Have you ever told the story of Jesus and then somebody come back and say, I don't believe it? <laughs> right? I mean, it happens all the time for us. If it happened to the disciples who were with Jesus for three and a half years, we know it's going to happen to us. So, never fear. Because this is what we're asked to do. Um, so Jesus shows up to the 11 disciples and rebukes them. I sent you three witnesses. I told you. I showed you. I did all these things. Um, and the disciples were probably a bit sheepish in the moment. Um, we find the disciples sheepish quite often uh, throughout there as they are rebuked and challenged by Jesus himself. Uh, but Jesus didn't give up. I love this. He, he doesn't give up. He spent three and a half years with, uh, in this particular case, with these guys. And uh, guys, really, don't you get it quite yet? But he doesn't give up on them. And the next breath we see in Mark chapter 16 
is Jesus is telling them something pretty powerful. Um, these disciples, they're zealots, they're fishermen, they are uneducated, there's a tax collector among them, there's uh, rebellious people among this group of disciples, and Jesus says, I'm not giving up on you. And he gives them, he gives them something really unexpected. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, these guys who didn't, just a few minutes ago, didn't believe. These guys who were struggling with this, this is what it says. Um, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You who struggle with unbelief, I'm asking you to go and to tell what you know about me. What kind of trust does that take on God's part to entrust the story of Jesus, the story of salvation, of reconciliation, of right relationship with God to a group of people that are painfully average? They don't have, at this point, they don't have, they're not social media influencers. None of these guys are. That is just farthest thing from it. They have no platform from which to speak, except that they've had an encounter with Jesus. That's it. All they had was a story to tell, just like us. Because we have a story to tell. Right? That, that's the bottom line, is that we have this incredible story to tell others. And this was God's plan from the beginning. God speaking through his creation uh, to men and women to make himself known. And sure, there are signs and wonders, right? And we believe that God still does miracles today. But uh, the, the miracles that are done um, are often uh, pushed aside by so many people. And so what we're left with is the story of Jesus Christ and the personal transformation that he's brought to each one of us. But the primary focus of the Father... The primary focus of Jesus, the primary focus of the Holy Spirit is on the words that we use to tell this story that we've been gifted with. And this is called mission. This is called the mission that God's given us. And at the end of Matthew, I'm gonna, we're going to uh, jump to another gospel real quick here as uh, try to wrap up on time. Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus talking to his disciples uh, right towards the end, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then he says in Luke, thus it stands written that the Christ, and this is Jesus speaking, uh, thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer, would rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Then he says of his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. This happened to you. 
And for John, John doesn't include this at the end of the gospel, but earlier on at the Last Supper when Jesus is gathering with his disciples, there's this like um, four-chapter message that Jesus is preaching to his disciples. In verse 16, he says, uh, as he's praying, he says, they, meaning the disciples, do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. And then he says this, just as you, Father, sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. There's this idea here contained at the very end of the gospel that we have a purpose and a mission beyond just coming together to celebrate one day a week, to be together as fantastic as that is. This isn't all that there is. This is not it. So the mission of God is very clear from the beginning. He uses ordinary people like you, like me, to tell the extraordinary story of his son, Jesus Christ, coming to change the world. I uh, was thinking a lot about the resurrection uh, for obvious reasons, right? And it got me to thinking about the structure of the Bible and the way that things are recorded in scriptures. I'm going to throw out some numbers here in just just a moment, uh, and hopefully it won't get lost in translation. But um, for the book of Mark, for example, about 11.5% of the entire book of Mark deals with the crucifixion and and, um, experiences around the crucifixion and the trial and all that. 11.5% of the book of Mark talks about the crucifixion. 1.2% talks about the resurrection. That's it. Very, very small. In fact, it's only eight verses in the book of Mark that talk about the resurrection. That's it. Um, Book of Matthew. Only 1.4% of the book of Matthew talks about the resurrection. In Luke, it's 3.6. And in John, 3.5%. You add it all up. About Almost 10% of the New Testament is dedicated, of the uh, Gospels, is dedicated to the crucifixion. About 10% of everything you read in the Gospels talks about the crucifixion. Right at 2% talks about the resurrection. And it really got me to thinking, why, why, why is this? It seems out of seems out of, um, out of order a little bit. I, the resurrection, this incredible thing Jesus brought back to life. Shouldn't that be the larger portion of the Gospels. Well, the crucifixion represents something that could have only been done once. Right? Jesus paid the price one time, and it's done. And so the story has to be told in great detail to show, man, this is the cost of this. And obviously Paul writes a ton about it uh, through all of his letters. And and the crucifixion is absolutely vital to the story of Jesus Christ because he is the only one that can experience a crucifixion. But the resurrection, the resurrection is for us today just like it was for the disciples back when Jesus resurrected from the dead on that first morning, right? This resurrection is to be lived through us ongoing. Every generation since Jesus came, right? Every generation, every group of people, every part of the church through these thousands of years have lived the resurrected life of Jesus Christ in part while we are on this earth, 
right? Remember last week we talked about new life and living hope? This is that extended resurrection story that lives through us. And I think that's why the gospel writers spend just a little bit of time because they're saying this resurrected life that Jesus lived, this is for you tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the month after that and the year after that until that final day when we meet Jesus face to face, folks. So this resurrected life is what we then proclaim to this world around us. And Jesus says, I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you to go. I invite you to stand to your feet. So what does it mean to go? What does it mean to go? Um, it means that each one of us have neighbors that live next door to us. And maybe a season of repentance has to happen because we can, we can make excuses, right? We can say, well, because of coronavirus, I haven't talked to anybody for a year, <laughs> right? Maybe we need to repent a bit of that attitude that has kind of snuck into our own heart where we're fearful of other people. We're fearful of them being around us. We hear a sniffle and we're like, oh, dear God, right? Maybe God's calling us in a new way to re-up our commitment to going to our neighbors, to telling them about the incredible story of transformation that Jesus has in my life, in your life, to be able to say, Jesus, use us. Um, don't take for granted the people that come into your life unexpectedly. Uh, yesterday when we were at, um, I was at uh, Lodestone Park for a little bit and then made my way over to Ochre and had the opportunity to talk to the, uh, to the, the uh, Parks and Rec guy. Um, and uh, it was very fun. His name is Jeff. Very wonderful talking. He was like Ron Swanson. No. Um, and uh, you don't get that reference. I am so sorry. Um, so in, in talking with him though, he was absolutely overjoyed that somebody cared. That somebody cared that we would reach out and say, hey, we want to help our community become better. People take note of what you do. They absolutely do. They pay attention when Jesus shines through you. They also pay attention when Jesus doesn't shine through you, yet you claim to be representing Jesus. All right, so let's get that straight. And uh, now I'm meddling. I apologize. <laughs> um, others won't hear unless we go and tell. Right? They, they won't. It's our responsibility. It's our turn now. Right? This is our turn. Jesus asked us to do this. Because we are called to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. That's what God, God has called us to do. And this resurrected life is more like Jesus means to be more like Jesus means we tell others about Jesus. So Father, I thank you for this morning. And God, as we are in this moment, um, have a choice to make. That as we end up the book of Mark, God, I am so grateful that it, that it literally ends with you pushing us out of our comfort zones into a world around us that at times can be incredibly scary. 
in a world around us that is anxious, a world around us that is filled with fear, a world around us that um, uh, seeks to harm others, seeks to uh, uh, potentially destroy lives. But God, you have called us to live the resurrected life of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit to this world around us. In this moment of decision, if you are here this morning or online as well, and you would say, you know, I just need to re-up this, uh, this heart for witnessing. I need to re-up this heart of mission in my own life because I realize I have, I've got this mission and I know that God is calling me to go. Might not necessarily mean going to Africa. Might not necessarily mean to go into Europe. Might not mean going to South America. But it does mean going to my neighbors, my coworkers. It does mean that. And I'm ready to receive that call in my life. If that's you, can you just lift your hand up really quickly? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of hands. Father, I'm just grateful for this congregation. God, help us to be more aware of the needs around us. Help us, God, to be more aware of the fact that you have called us to go. And Lord, what you have called us to do is not to go out and prove you. God, you haven't called us to go out and uh, have some incredible defense of you. But Lord, you have called us to go and to tell the story of Jesus Christ in our life. And so it would help us to do that effectively, help us to do that boldly, help us, God, to do that with a neighbor that doesn't like us. Lord, help us to do that with a coworker who is uh, wondering about faith. Help us, Lord, to do that uh, in this world around us, which is hurting and broken. But God, you've called us to make a difference in this world. Lord, we love you. God, I praise you. And uh, Lord, I am again grateful for this congregation. I ask, Lord, for your blessing upon them. Give them strength and power. Give them an anointing, God, that is fresh and new for them. And Lord, as we leave from this place today, Jesus, be glorified in our lives. Lord, we love you this day. God, we do truly give you all the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate each one of you. Make sure you do invite people back, right? Invite people to come on over to church. We'd love to have them with us at Life Church. So God bless you guys. See you next week.